Chapter Eight of the Chronicles of Count Antonio by Anthony Hope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Brett Downey. The Manner of Count Antonio's Return. In all that I have written concerning Count Antonio, I have striven to say that only which is surely based on truth and attested by credible witness, and have left on one side the more marvellous tales such as the credulity of ignorance and the fond license of legend are wont to weave. But as to the manner of his return, there is no room for uncertainty, for the whole account of it was recorded in the archives of the city by order of Duke Valentine the Good, son and successor to that duke who outlawed Antonio, to which archives I, Ambrose, have had full access, and I have now free permission to make known so much of them as may serve for the proper understanding of the matter. And this same task is one to which I set my pen willingly, conceiving that the story is worthy of being known to every man in the duchy, for while many may censure the things that Antonio did in the days of his sojourn in the hills, there can, I think, be none that will not look with approval on his bearing in this last hap of fortune. Indeed, he was a gallant gentleman, and if, for that, I forgive him his sins too readily, in like manner may our good St. Prision intercede that my sins be forgiven me. Five years had the Count dwelt in the hills. Five years had the Lady Lucia mourned in the city. Five years had Duke Valentine laid plans and schemes. Then it fell out that a sickness came upon the city and the country round it. Many died, and more were sore stricken, but by the mercy of God narrowly escaped. Among those that suffered were the Duke himself, and at the same time a certain gentleman, by name Count Philip of Garda, a friend of Antonio's, and yet an obedient servant to the Duke. Now when Antonio heard that Philip lay sick, he sent to him a rich gift of choice meats and fruits by the hand of Tomasino. And Tomasino came with six of the band and delivered the gift, and might have ridden back in all safety, as did the six who came with him. But Philip had a fair daughter, and Tomasino, caught by her charms, made bold to linger at Philip's house, trusting that his presence would not be known to the duke, and venturing his own neck for the smiles of red lips and the glances of bright eyes, as young men have since this old world began. But one of the duke's spies, of whom he maintained many, brought word to him of Tomasino's rashness, and as Tomasino, at last, rode forth privily in the evening, singing a love-song and hugging in his bosom a glove that the lady had suffered him to carry off, he came suddenly into an ambush of the duke's guard, and was pulled violently from his horse, and before he could so much as draw his sword, behold, his arms were seized, and the Lord Lorenzo stood before him, with doffed cap and mocking smile. "'My glove is like to cost me dear,' said Tomasino. "'Indeed, my lord,' answered Lorenzo. "'I fear there will be a reckoning for it.' Then he gave the word, and they set Tomasino bound on his horse, and rode without drawing rein to the city. And when the duke heard the next morning of Tomasino's capture, he raised himself on his couch, where he lay in the shade by the fish-pond, under the wall of his garden. "'This is sweet medicine for my sickness.' said he, on the third day from now, at noon, he shall die. Bid them raise a great gibbet in front of my palace, so high that it may be seen from every part of the city, and from beyond the walls, and on that gibbet Tomasino shall hang, that all men may know that I, Valentine, am Duke and Lord of Fermola. And he lay back again, pale and faint. But when word came to Antonio that Tomasino was taken, he withdrew himself from the rest of the band, who were lamenting the untoward chance, and walked by himself to and fro for a long while. And he gazed once on the picture of the Lady Lucia, which was always round his neck. Then he sat down and wrote a letter to the Duke, saying, My gracious Lord, I am here with fifty men, stout and brave fellows. 
and if my cousin dies there shall be no peace in the duchy but my heart is heavy already for those that have died in my quarrel and i may not endure tomasino's death therefore let tomasino go and grant full pardon and oblivion to him and to all who are here with me and swear to do this with a binding oath and then i will come and deliver myself to you and suffer such doom as seems good to your highness may almighty god assuage your highness's sickness and keep you in all things antonio of montevelluto and this letter he sent to the duke valentine who having received it pondered long but at last said to lorenzo i do not love to let tomasino go nor to pardon these lawless knaves yet for five years i have pursued antonio and have not taken him and i am weary and the country is racked and troubled by our strife with antonio dead all would be quiet my lord said lorenzo then the duke's eyes flashed and he said it shall be so and bid them strengthen the gibbet for antonio is a large man and he shall surely hang on it now lorenzo was somewhat grieved for he esteemed antonio yet he obeyed the duke's commands and took from the duke a letter for antonio wherein his highness swore to all that antonio asked and bade him come alone or with one companion only into the city on the day that had been before appointed for the hanging of tomasino and further the lord lorenzo gathered together all the pikemen and every man that served the duke and placed them all on guard and proclaimed that any man besides found carrying arms into the city should be held as the duke's enemy for he feared that the townsmen who loved antonio would attempt something on his behalf but when the townsmen saw the great force that lorenzo had gathered they dared attempt nothing although they were sore grieved and lamented bitterly and the lady lucia looking from the window of her house beheld those who were erecting the gibbet and wept for her lover as for tomasino when he heard that he was not to be hanged but to be set free and antonio to suffer death in his stead he was like a man mad and his rage and grief could not be restrained for he declared that he would not live if antonio died and did not cease to reproach himself bitterly therefore the lord lorenzo held him confined in his own house lest he should do himself some harm, or endeavor by some desperate device to prevent Antonio from fulfilling his purpose. But he treated him with all courtesy, for he was sorry for his plight. Now Count Antonio feared his companions, and did not dare to tell them of what he had done, lest their obedience should fail under a strain so great, and they should by force prevent his going to the city. Therefore he told them to rest quiet in their camp, while he, with Benna, went about certain necessary business, and he bade them farewell, enjoining them most strictly to do nothing against the duke for said he although i may not tell you fully what the business is on which i go yet i have good hope that his highness is favorably inclined to you and that in a short space you will receive from him pardon for all your offences and that pardon i charge you to accept with gratitude and having accepted it be thenceforward loyal servants to his highness but will the duke pardon you also my lord and the lord tomasino asked martolo he will pardon tomasino also answered antonio and be assured that i shall suffer nothing having said this he shook every man by the hand thanking them for the love and service they had shown him and he and benna were accompanied by all of them to the foot of mount anino and there in the early morning of the appointed day antonio mounted his horse and rode with benna into the plain and as they rode benna said to him my lord why does the duke grant this pardon because i give him what he asks as the price of it benna answered antonio and they rode on for a while but when benna saw that antonio turned his horse not towards rilano but directly across the plain towards fermola he said my lord whither are we riding we are riding to the city benna answered antonio there is no cause for fear we go by leave and on the invitation of his highness 
"'But will he let us go again?' asked Benna. "'You will be free to go when you will,' answered Antonio. "'And me, the Duke, will himself send forth from the city when I am ready to go.' For Lorenzo had promised in the Duke's name that Antonio's body, after it had hung three days on the gibbet, should be carried from the city to the church of St. Prision at Rolano, and there interned with fitting ceremony. "'Yet I do not like this ride of ours,' grumbled Benna. "'Nay, I like it not myself.' said Antonio, smiling. But for the good of my cousin, and of all our company, we must go forward. And he stopped for a moment, and added, Swear to me, Benna, by St. Prision, to obey in all I bid you in the city to-day, and not to draw your sword unless I draw mine. Do I not always obey you, my lord? asked Benna. But swear to me. Well, then I swear, said Benna, though in truth, my lord, your word is full as strong to me as any oath, whether by Prision or another. For well, this man whom they called Benna was a godless man, and one that held holy things in light esteem. But he was a fine fighter and a loyal servant, and God's mercy is infinite. It may be his heart was turned at last, though indeed I have found no record of it. "'My lord, will you see my lady Lucia in the city?' asked Benna. "'I trust at least to see her face at her window,' answered Antonio. "'Will you have speech with her, my lord?' "'If his highness will grant me that favour, Benna.' "'Ah!' I know now why you smiled, my lord, as you rode just now. It will be a bright day for you. And Benna laughed. Indeed, said Antonio. I trust that the day might be bright for me. Yes, bright as the light of heaven. There is no light brighter than the eyes of the girl a man loves, said Benna. Yes, there is one, said Antonio. But Benna did not understand his meaning. Thus they rode till it wanted only two hours of noon, and then they were within five miles of the city, and Benna, Looking, beheld the great gibbet rising above the walls of the city, and standing forth, grim and black, in front of the marble face of the cathedral. "'What is that, my lord?' he cried, "'which towers above the walls of the city.' "'Is it not enough to know when we come there?' answered Antonio. Then Benna sighed, and said to Antonio, "'I find it in my heart, my lord, to be half sorry that the duke pardons us, for we lived a fine merry life in the hills. Yet it will be pleasant to live at ease.' and we have adventures enough to tell our sweethearts, ay, and our children, too, when we grow old, and they come round us and ask us for stories of our youth. I hope my boys will be good at a fight, my lord, and serve your sons as I have served you. It may be God's will that I leave no sons to bear my name, Benna. I do not think that, said Benna with a laugh. They were now passing the hill on which stood the blackened walls of Antonio's house, which Duke Valentine had burnt. Benna cried out at the sight, You will need to spend much in rebuilding it said he. "'Perhaps his highness has provided another dwelling for me,' said Antonio. "'Tonight he will surely lodge you, my lord, in his own palace, or, maybe, with my lord Lorenzo. Wherever it may be, I shall sleep soundly,' said Antonio. Now they were come near to the city, and they saw a body of pikemen coming out to meet them, the lieutenant of the guard at the head, and when they met, the lieutenant bowed to Antonio, who greeted him most courteously, and the pikemen spread themselves in front and behind, and on both sides of Antonio and Benna, and thus they went on towards the bridge and the city gate. But Benna eyed the pikeman with no love, and moved restlessly in his saddle. "'These fellows,' he said to Antonio, "'hem us in, my lord. Shall I make my horse threaten their toes a little, so that they may give us more room?' "'Let them be,' said Antonio. "'It is not for long, Benna.' At the entrance of the gate stood Lorenzo, awaiting the count, and there they dismounted and Antonio passed through the gate with Lorenzo, Benna being close to him on the other side. And when Benna saw the great force of pikemen, and, behind their ranks, 
a mighty throng of people, and when he saw the tall gibbet and understood what it was, suddenly his face went red, and his hand flew to his sword. But Antonio caught his arm, saying, "'My sword is not drawn, Benna.' "'My lord, what does it mean?' cried Benna in a loud voice, so that Lorenzo heard, and stayed his steps, and looked at Benna. "'Does he not know?' he asked of Antonio. "'He does not know yet,' said Antonio. And to Benna he said, "'I have need of your sword, Benna. Give it me.' "'My sword, my lord?' "'Yes, your sword.' Benna looked at him with wondering, frightened eyes, but slowly he unbuckled his sword from his belt and gave it to Antonio. And Antonio unbuckled his own sword also and gave them both to the lieutenant of the guard, saying, "'Sir, I pray you restore Benna's to him in the evening, and mine to me when I go forth to Rolano.' But Benna clutched at Antonio's arm, crying again, "'What does it mean, my lord?' Then Antonio took him by the hand and said, are we to be afraid now of what we have often faced together with light hearts, Benna? Are we to die? asked Benna. You are to live and beget those brave boys, Benna. But it is otherwise with me, said Antonio. Then the Lord Lorenzo, who had looked in Benna's eyes, signed to four pikemen to come near, and they came and stood near Benna, for Lorenzo feared that he would not suffer Antonio to die without seeking to save him or to die with him. Nay, let him alone, said Antonio. "'You will obey me of your own free will, Benna.' "'Yes, my lord,' said Benna, and he looked up at the gibbet, and then he caught Antonio's hand and kissed it a score of times, and he began to sob as a child sobs, and the guard, among whom were some that had felt his arm, marveled to see him thus moved. "'Let us go on,' said Antonio. "'It is hard on noon, and I must keep my tryst with His Highness.' "'His Highness awaits, my lord, by the fish-pond in the garden,' said Lorenzo, and he led Antonio to the palace, and brought him through the great hall, and so to the fish-pond, and by it the duke lay propped on pillows, yet very richly arrayed, and his little son sat by him. Now Lorenzo stood aloof, but Antonio came, and kneeling, kissed the duke's hand, and then rose and stood before the duke. But the boy cried, "'Why, it is my lord Antonio! Have you come back to live in the city, my lord Antonio? Ah, I am glad of it!' "'Nay, I have not come to live in the city, my little lord,' said Antonio. "'Whither do you go, then?' asked the boy. "'His Highness sends me on a journey,' said Antonio. "'Is it far?' "'Yes, it is far,' said Antonio with a smile. "'I wish he would send another and let you stay. "'Then we could play at robbers again in the great hall,' said the little duke. "'Father, can you find no other lord to go in Antonio's place?' The duke turned his face, pale and wasted with sickness, and his eyes, that seemed larger and deeper than they had before, upon his son. "'I can send none but Antonio,' said he. And calling to Lorenzo, he bade him take the boy. But the boy went reluctantly, telling Antonio that he must return speedily. "'For you promised,' said he, "'to teach me how to use my sword.' And the duke signed with his hand to Lorenzo, who lifted the boy and carried him away, leaving Antonio alone with the duke. "'I have set my seal to the pardons, as I swore,' said the duke." and Tomasino shall be free this evening, and all that he and the rest have done against me shall be forgotten from this hour. Have you any cause of complaint against me? None, my lord, said Count Antonio. Is there anything else that you ask of me? Nothing, my lord. Yet, if it be your highness's pleasure that I should have speech with the Lady Lucia and with my cousin, I should be well pleased. You will see them yonder in the square, said the duke, but otherwise you shall not see them. Then Lorenzo returned, and he led Antonio to a chamber, and gave him meat and wine. And while Antonio ate, the Lord Archbishop, having heard that he was come, came in great haste. 
and the venerable man was very urgent with Antonio that he should make his peace with heaven, so that, having confessed his sins and sought absolution, he might be relieved of the sentence of excommunication under which he lay, and be comforted with the rights of the church before he died. "'For there are many wild and wicked deeds on your conscience,' said the archbishop, "'and above all, the things that you did touching the abbot of St. Prision, and yet more impiously touching the sacred bones.' "'Indeed, I have many sins to confess.' said Antonio. But, my lord archbishop, concerning the abbot and concerning the sacred bones, I have nothing to confess. For even now, when I stand on the threshold of death, I can perceive nothing that I did, save what I could not leave undone. Then the archbishop besought him very earnestly, and even with tears. But Antonio would own no sin in these matters, and therefore the archbishop could not relieve him from his sentence, nor give him the holy comforts, but left him and returned to his own house in great distress of spirit. The Lord Lorenzo now came again to Antonio, and said to him, My lord, it wants but a few moments of noon. Therefore Antonio rose and went with him, and they came through the great hall, and, a strong escort being about them, took their stand at the front of the palace steps. Then the duke was borne out on his couch, high on the shoulders of his lackeys, and was set down on the topmost step. And silence having been proclaimed, the duke spoke to Antonio, but so weak was his voice that none heard save those who were very near. "'Antonio of Montevelluto,' said he, "'it may be that in God's purposes I myself have not long to live. Yet it is long enough for me to uphold and vindicate that princely power which the same God has committed to my hands. That power you have outraged. Many of my faithful friends you have slain. Against both me and the church you have lifted your hand. Go then to your death, that men may know the fate of traitors and rebels.' Antonio bowed low to his highness, but, not being invited by the duke to speak, he said not, but suffered Lorenzo to lead him across the square, and as he went, he passed where four pikemen stood by Benna, ready to lay hold on him if he moved, and Benna fell on his knees and again kissed Antonio's hand, and Antonio, passing on, saw two young lords, followers of Lorenzo, and between them stood Tomasino. Their arms were through Tomasino's arms, and they held him, though lovingly, yet firmly, and he had no sword. "'May I speak with Tomasino?' asked Antonio. "'His Highness has forbidden it,' said Lorenzo. But Antonio paused for a moment before Tomasino, and Tomasino, greatly moved, cried piteously to him that he might die with him. And Antonio kissed him, and with a shake of his head passed on. Thus then he came to the gibbet, and mounted with Lorenzo on to the scaffold that was underneath the gibbet. And when he was seen there, a great groan went up from the people, and the apprenticed lads, who were all gathered together on the left side of the gibbet, murmured so fiercely and stirred so restlessly that the pikemen faced round, turning their backs towards the scaffold, and laid their pikes in rest. Then the hour of noon struck from the clock in the tower of the cathedral, and the master of the duke's household, who stood by the couch of his master, turned his eyes to the duke's face, seeking the signal for Antonio's death, which, when he received, he would sign to the executioner to set the rope round the count's neck. For the man stood by Antonio with the rope in his hand, and Antonio was already in his shirt. But when the master of the household looked at the duke, the duke made no signal. Yet the duke had not fainted from his sickness, for he was propped on his elbow, his face was eager, and his gaze was set intently across the square. And his physician, who was near, spoke to him softly, saying, My lord, they await the signal. But the duke waved him aside impatiently, and gazed still across the square. And seeing his highness thus gazing intently, the master of the household, and the physician, and all the rest who were about the duke's person, looked also, and they saw the Lady Lucia coming forth from her house, clad all in white. 
Antonio also saw her from where he stood on the scaffold, for the people made a way for her, and the pikemen let her pass through their ranks, so that she walked alone across the middle of the great square, and the eyes of all, leaving Antonio, were fixed upon her. Her face was very pale, and her hair fell on her shoulders, but she walked firmly and swiftly, and she turned neither to right nor left, but made straight for the spot where the duke lay. And he, seeing her coming, moaned once, and passed his hand thrice over his eyes, and raised himself yet higher on his arm, leaning towards her over the side of the couch. Again he passed his hand across his brow, and the physician regarded him very intently, yet dared not again to seek to rouse his attention, and imposed silence on the master of the household, who had asked in low tones, "'What ails his highness?' Then the Lady Lucia, having reached the foot of the steps, stood still there, her eyes on the duke. Very fair she was, and sad, and she seemed rather some beautiful, unsubstantial vision than a living maiden, and though she strove to form words with her lips, yet no words came. Therefore it was by her muteness that she besought pity for herself and pardon for her lover. But the duke, leaning yet further towards her, had fallen, but that the physician, kneeling, passed his arm round his body and held him up. And he said in low, hoarse tones, and like a man that is amazed and full of awe, and yet moved with a gladness so great that he cannot believe it, Who is it? Who is it? And the Lady Lucia still could not answer him. And he, craning towards her, spoke to her in entreaty, Margarita! Margarita! Then indeed all marveled, for the name that the Duke spoke was the name by which that princess who had been his wife, and was dead, had been called and they perceived that his highness, overcome by his sickness, had lost discernment, and conceived the Lady Lucia to be not herself, but the spirit of his dead love, come to him from heaven, to which delusion her white robes and her death-like pallor might well incline him. And now the wonder and fear left his face, and there came in place of them a great joy and rapture, so that his sunk eyes gleamed, and his lips quivered, and he beckoned with his hand, murmuring, "'I am ready, I am ready, Margarita.' And while this passed, all who were too distant to hear the duke's words wondered that the signal came not, but supposed that the Lady Lucia had interceded for Count Antonio, and that his highness was now answering her prayer, and they hoped that he would grant it. And Antonio stood on the scaffold between the Lord Lorenzo and the executioner, and his eyes were set on Lucia. Then the duke spoke again to the Lady Lucia, saying, "'I have been lonely, very lonely. How pale your face is, my sweet!' come to me i cannot come to you for i am very sick and he held out his hand towards her again but she was now sore bewildered for she could not understand the words which his highness used to her and she looked round seeking someone who might tell her what they meant none moved from his place or came near to her and at last she found voice enough to say in soft tones antonio my lord the count antonio i i know that you loved him said the duke but since then he has done great crimes and he must die yet speak not of him now but come here to me margarita then with wavering tread she came towards him mounting the first of the steps and she said i know not what you would my lord nor why you call me by the name margarita i am lucia and i come to ask antonio's life lucia lucia said he and his face grew doubtful nay but you are my margarita he said no my lord she answered as with trembling uncertain feet she mounted till she stood but one step below where his couch was placed and then she fell on her knees on the highest step and clasped her hands crying have mercy my lord have mercy think my dear lord how i love him 
for if he dies, I must die also, my lord. Ah, my lord, you have known love. You have loved our sweet Lady Margarita. Was not her name now on your lips? So I love Antonio. So he loves me. Ah, my lord, Christ Jesus teaches pity. And she buried her face in her hands and sobbed. Then the duke, his physician, and now the master of the household also supporting him, stretched himself over the edge of his couch, and putting out his hand with feverish strength, plucked the Lady Lucia's hands away from her face, and gazed at her face. And when he had gazed a moment, he gave a great cry, Ah, oh, God! and flung his arms up above his head, and fell back into the arms of his physician, who laid him down on his couch, where he lay motionless, his eyes shut, and his chin resting on his breast. And all looked at the physician, but he answered, Nay, he is not dead yet. Why tarries the signal? asked Antonio of Lorenzo on the scaffold. It must be that the Lady Lucia beseeches him for your life, my lord, answered Lorenzo. Indeed, heartily do I wish the duke would hearken to her prayer. He will not turn for her, said Antonio. But presently the report of what had passed spread from those round the duke to the pikemen, and they, loving a marvel as most men do, must needs tell it to the people, and a murmur of wonder arose, and the report reached the guards at the scaffold, who came and told Lorenzo, in the hearing of Antonio, of the strange delusion that had come upon the duke. He must be sick to death, said Lorenzo. I pray not, said Count Antonio, for though he is a stern man, yet he is an able and just prince, and this fancy of his is very pitiful. Do you spare pity for him? asked Lorenzo. Shall I not pity all who have lost their loves? answered Antonio with a smile, and his eye rested on the form of the Lady Lucia, kneeling by the duke's couch. For hard on a half an hour the duke lay as he had fallen, but at last, his physician having used all his skill to rouse him, he opened his eyes, and he clutched his physician's hand and pointed to Lucia, asking, Who is she? It is the Lady Lucia, my lord, answered the physician. And there was none else? asked the duke in a tremulous whisper. I saw no other, my lord. But I saw her, said the duke. I saw her even as I saw her last, when she lay on her bed, and they took the child out of her dead arms. It was the weakness of your malady, my lord, that made the vision before your eyes. Alas, was it no more? moaned the duke. Indeed, I am very weak. There is a blur before my eyes. I cannot see who this lady is that kneels before me. Who is she, and what ails her? And having said this, in fretful, weary tones, he lay back on his pillow, gasping. Then the master of the household came forward and said to him, My lord, this is the Lady Lucia, and she kneels before your highness, praying for the life of Count Antonio, because she loves him. Now the name of Count Antonio, when spoken to him, moved the duke more than all the ministrations of his physician, and he roused himself once again, crying, Antonio! I had forgotten Antonio! Does he still live? Your Highness has not given the signal for his death. Have I not? Then here! He moved his hand, but with a great cry the Lady Lucia sprang forward and seized his hand before he could raise it, kneeling to him and crying, No! No, my lord! No! 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 And the duke had no strength to fling her off, but he gasped, free me from her and the master of the household terrified lest in her passion she should do violence to his highness roughly tore her hands from the duke's hand and the duke released sat up on his couch and he said in a strange hard voice that was heard of all even to the scaffold and yet seemed not the voice that they knew as his let antonio but then he stopped he choked in his throat and catching at his shirt tore it loose from him let antonio he cried again let Antonio! 
and he sat there for an instant, and his eyes grew dim, the intelligence departing from them. Once again he opened his lips, but nothing came from them save a gasp, and with a thud he fell back on his pillows, and having rolled once on his side, turned again on his back and lay still. And a great hush fell on every man in the square, and they looked in one another's faces, but found no answer. For Valentine, Duke and Lord of Fermola, was dead of his sickness at the moment when he had sought to send Antonio to death. Thus marvelously did heaven in its high purposes deal with him. "'His highness is dead,' said the physician, and the master of the household, as his duty was, came to the front of the duke's couch, and, standing there before all the people, broke the wand of his office, and let the broken fragments fall upon the marble steps, and he cried aloud, "'Hear, all of you! It hath pleased Almighty God to take unto himself the soul of the noble and illustrious prince, Valentine, duke and lord of Fermola. May his soul find peace!' but there came from the people no answering cry of Amen, as according to the custom of the duchy should have come, for they were amazed at the manner of this death, and many crossed themselves in fear, and women sobbed, and Lorenzo, standing on the scaffold by Antonio, was struck with wonder and fear, and clutched Antonio's arm, crying, Can it be that the duke is dead? And Antonio bowed his head, answering, May Christ receive his soul. Then the master of the household came forward again and cried, Here, all of you! According to the high pleasure and appointment of Almighty God, the noble and illustrious prince, Valentine, second of that name, is from this hour Duke and Lord of Fermola, whom obey, serve, and honor all of you. May his rule be prosperous. And this time there came a low murmur of Amen from the people. But before more could pass, there was a sudden commotion in the square before the scaffold. For Benna, seeing what was done, and knowing that the Duke was dead, had glanced at the pikeman who stood near, and when he saw that they looked not at him, but towards where the master of the household stood, he sprang forward and ran like a deer to the scaffold, and he leapt up to the scaffold before any could hinder him, and he cried in a mighty loud voice, saying, By what warrant do you hold my lord a prisoner? Then the apprentices raised a great cheer, and with one accord pressed upon the pikemen, who, amazed by all that had passed, gave way before them, and the apprentices broke their bounds, and surged like a billow of the sea up to the foot of the scaffold, shouting Antonio's name and the young lords who held Tomasino came with him and broke through and reached the scaffold, for they feared for Lorenzo, and yet would not let Tomasino go. And Lorenzo was sore at a loss, but he drew his sword and, and cried that he would slay any man that touched Antonio, until the right of the matter should be known. "'Indeed, if you will give me a sword, I will slay him myself,' said Antonio, "'for I stand here by my own will, and according to the promise I gave to the duke. And if there be lawful authority to hang me, hang me. But if not—' dispose of me as the laws of the duchy bid i have no authority said lorenzo save what the duke gave and now he is dead then the count antonio fastened his shirt again about his neck and put on his doublet and he signed to benna to stand on one side of him and he bade the young lords loose tomasino and he said to lorenzo let us go together to the palace and now he was smiling then they came down from the scaffold passed across the square a great multitude following them and when they came to the steps of the palace, the duke's body was covered with a rich brocaded cloth that some hand had brought from his cabinet, and the little duke stood there with his hand in the master of the household's hand, and the child was weeping bitterly, for he was very frightened, and over against him stood the lady Lucia, motionless as though she had been turned to stone, for the strange thing that had come about, through her approaching of the duke, had bewildered her brain. But when the boy saw Antonio, he let go the hand he held, and ran to Antonio, and leaped into his arms. Then Antonio lifted him, and showed him to the people, who hailed him for duke, 
and Antonio set him down and knelt before him and kissed his hand. And the child cried, Now that my father is dead, Antonio, you must not go on your journey, but you must stay with me. For if I am duke, I must learn to use my sword without delay, and no man but you shall teach me. Shall I not go on my journey, my lord? asked Antonio. No, you shall not go, said the little duke. Then Antonio turned to the lords who stood round and said, Behold, my lords, his highness pardons me. But the lords doubted, and they said to Antonio, Nay, but he does not know what he does in pardoning you. He understands as well, I think, said Antonio, as his father understood when he sent me to death. Indeed, my lords, it is not children only who know not what they do. And at this speech Tomasino smiled, and Benna laughed gruffly. But the lords, bidding Antonio rest where he was till they returned, retired with the little duke into the palace, and sent word hastily to the archbishop that he should join them there and deliberate with them as to what might be best to do. And when they were thus gone in, Antonio said, I may not move, but the Lady Lucia is free to move. Then Tomasino went to the lady and spoke to her softly, telling her that Antonio desired to speak with her. And she gave Tomasino her hand, and he led her to Antonio, who stood within the portico, screened from the sight of the people, and there they were left alone. But meanwhile the whole body of the townsmen and the apprentices had gathered before the palace, and their one cry was for Antonio. For the fear of the duke being no longer upon them, and the pikemen not knowing whom to obey and being therefore disordered, the people became very bold, and they had stormed the palace, had not one come to Antonio and implored him so show himself that the people might know that he was safe. Therefore he came forward with the Lady Lucia, who was now no more bewildered, nor petrified with fear or astonishment, but was weeping with her eyes, and smiling with her lips, and clinging to Antonio's arm. And when the people saw them thus, they set up a great shout, that was heard far beyond the city walls, and the apprentice lads turned and ran in a body across the square, and swarmed onto the scaffold, and then and there they plucked down the gibbet, and worked so fiercely that in the space of half an hour there was none left of it. And now the archbishop with the lords came forth from the council chamber, and the little duke was with them, and they caused the servants to remove the body of the dead duke, and they set his son on a high seat, and put a scepter in his hand, and the archbishop offered up a prayer before the people, and having done this he turned to Antonio and said, My lord Antonio, most anxiously have his highness and we of his council considered this matter, and it has seemed to us all, my own in truth was the sole reluctant voice, and now I also am brought to the same mind, that whereas the virtuous purposes of princes are meet to be remembered, and made perpetual by faithful fulfilment after their death, yet the errors of which they, being mortal, are guilty, should not overlive them, nor be suffered to endure when they have passed away. And though we are not blind to your offences, yet we judge that in the beginning the fault was not yours. Therefore his highness decrees your pardon for all offences against his civil state and power. And I myself, who hold authority higher than any earthly might, seeing in what this day has witnessed the finger of God himself, do not fight against it, but will pray you, so soon as you may see fit thereunto by prayer and meditation, to come in a humble mind and seek again the blessing of the church. For in what you did right, and in what you outstepped right, God himself must one day judge, and I will seek to judge of it no more. My lord, said Antonio, I have done much wrong, yet I will own no wrong in the matter of the abbot, nor in that of the sacred bones. But the lord archbishop smiled at Antonio, and Antonio bent and kissed the ring that was on his finger, and the old man laid his hand for a moment on Antonio's head, saying, it may be that God works sometimes in ways that I may not see. Thus then it was that the Count Antonio was restored to his place, and came again to Formola. 
and having been relieved of the sentence of excommunication that had been laid upon him, he was wedded in the cathedral to the Lady Lucia as soon as the days of mourning for the duke had passed. And great joy was in the city at their wedding, for every maid and every man saw in the triumph of Antonio's love a sign of the favor of heaven to those who love with a pure and abiding passion. So they made great feasts, and were marvelously merry, and Benna let not the day go by without plighting his troth to a comely damsel, saying with a twinkle in his eye that the Count Antonio would have need of his sons, whose services he had promised to him as they rode together across the plain on the morning when Antonio had supposed that he was to die. Nor would Benna give any other reason whatsoever for the marriage. Nevertheless, it is likely that there were others. But whether Benna fulfilled his promise I know not, for, as I have said, so little is known concerning him that his true name does not survive, and it has proved an impossible thing to discover whether any of his descendants yet live in Fermola. If it chance that they do, I trust that they fight as well, and serve as loyally, and pray better than he. But Martolo has left those that bear his name, and a great-grandson of his is at this very time huntsman to the monastery of St. Prision, where I have seen and talked with him many times. The task which I laid upon myself thus finds its end, for there is no need for me to tell of the after-deeds of Count Antonio of Montevelluto, nor how in the space of a few months he was chosen by all the lords to be ruler and protector of the state during the infancy of the duke, in which high office he did many notable deeds, both of war and peace, and raised the duchy to a great height of power, and conferred many favors upon the townsmen of Fermola, whom he loved and cherished because they had not forsaken him, nor ceased to love him during all the years that he had dwelt an outlaw in the hills. And he built again his house on the hill, which Duke Valentine had burnt, and dwelt there with Lucia, and with Tomasino also, until Tomasino took to wife that same lady for whose sake he had lingered and thus fallen into the hands of the Lord Lorenzo, and went and dwelt at Rolano, where those of his house still dwell. But when the young duke came of an age to reign, the Count Antonio delivered his charge into his hand, yet continued to counsel him, and was very high in authority. And neighboring princes also sought his aid and his counsel, and he was greatly honored of all men. Thus, if there were aught in his youth that merits censure, it may be held that he blotted out the shame of it by his afterlife, for his later days were filled with honorable service to his prince and to his country. Yet the heart of a man is a vain thing, for when I, who am known to have learnt all that can be recovered from the mists of past times concerning Count Antonio, am asked, and whether it be by men or women, by boys or girls, I, or by toddling infants, to tell them a tale of the great Count Antonio, it is not of the prudent ruler, nor of the wise counsellor, nay, nor even of the leader of the duke's army, that they would hear, but always of Antonio when he was an outlaw, banned by his prince and by the church, living by the light of his own heart and by the strength of his own hand, secured only by the love and duty of the lawless men who followed him, and risking his life every day and every hour for the sake of the bright eyes of that lady who waited for him in the city. And when I, thinking to check this perversity, bid them look rather on his more worthy and sober days, they answer with a laugh, But why, father, do you not write the story of those more worthy and sober days? Nor will they believe when I say that it is but because the deeds of those days are elsewhere recorded. In truth, I believe that in our hearts we love a lawless man. Here, then, ye perverse children, are the stories. They are all that you shall have from me. Read them. May they teach you to be true comrades, faithful lovers of one maid. And, since strife must needs come until God's pleasure bring peace to reign on earth, able, when occasion calls, to give and take good blows. I never laugh. I have said it. A churchman is a man. End of chapter and end of The Chronicles of Count Antonio by Anthony Hope
Recording by Brett Downey.